All right, would you pray with me this morning before we dive into God's Word? Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we praise you that you have chosen us, uh, that we belong to you, uh, that you are uh, calling us to yourself and revealing yourself to us through your word. And so, Lord, as we uh, dive back into Romans this morning, uh, we just ask that you would continue to reveal your truths to us, uh, the truth of your word. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, the great examples we have through uh, the apostles in the early church. And um, God, may we learn from their lessons and may we learn from your word this morning. Um, would you challenge us um, and direct us um, and just bring to light those things in our lives where you are trying to get a hold of us. Um, and so we just thank you, Lord, um, that we can call you Father and go before us this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it is now March, and we are getting back to our series in Romans after we took the month of February to focus on missions and our great co-mission with God to go into all the world and bring the good news of the gospel. And when we did that, our theme passage for the month of February was Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 3, where we read, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas to go, to be sent out on their missionary journeys. And so as we jump back into Romans, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at the Apostle Paul uh, before we dive into the first seven verses of Romans chapter, Romans chapter 1 this morning. So kind of hang with me. Uh, we're going to get to Romans, but first we're going to be looking a little more uh, at the Apostle Paul. Because remember, uh, Paul is the author of Romans as being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And the book of Romans comes right after the book of Acts in the New Testament. And the reason for this is that Acts flows right into Romans, just as the resurrection in the gospel accounts flows right into Acts and the beginnings of the early church. And, and Acts uh, flows right into Paul writing to the early church in Rome, because beginning in Acts 13 that we just read, we see the start of Paul's missionary journey to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And then the remaining 14 chapters, all the way to Acts chapter 28, we are encountering the story of Paul and Paul's missionary journeys and the way in which the Holy Spirit worked and moved throughout his ministry. And then Acts ends with Paul being brought to Rome as a prisoner. And from church tradition and, and other extra-biblical accounts, Paul is said to have been martyred in Rome during the reign of Emperor Nero around AD 67. Paul is said to have been killed by decapitation, which was a merciful death uh, compared to crucifixion. And this was allotted to him only due to his Roman citizenship. So Paul is this pretty incredible figure and leader in the early church, and he is highly educated and studied under Gamaliel, a Pharisee respected by all the religious leaders in Judea. And Gamaliel was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was like the Jewish supreme court in essence. Uh, they were a court of 71 men uh, who were the leaders of the people in, in religious and judicial cases. And early on in the church, uh, when the apostles were preaching initially in Jerusalem, uh, they were arrested by these Jewish leaders. 
And these men wanted to kill the apostles, but one objected in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was such a well-respected and wise teacher that he convinced the entire council to let the apostles go. That's the kind of influence that he had. See, this was Paul's teacher. In Acts chapter 21, we read that Paul's in Jerusalem visiting James, and he went there in full knowledge that he would be arrested. For a prophet came to Paul uh, before he got there and prophesied to him uh, by the Holy Spirit that that Paul would be arrested if he went to Jerusalem. In fact, he took Paul's belt off of him and and tied him up with it, uh, saying, this is what they're going to do to you if you go to to Jerusalem. And those who were with Paul on his journeys, uh, when they heard that prophecy, they began to weep. And then Paul says to those who are with him, he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. See, this is Paul. This is his resolution. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. So he went to Jerusalem, and he was in the temple, and the Jews from Asia saw him and began to stir up everyone against him by saying that, they, that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which he had not. So a huge mob was stirred up, and they seized him, and, and they were beating him, and the Romans had to intervene, and they were bringing him uh, to the barracks to be questioned. Um, as they were carrying him, Paul, Paul speaks up in, in verse 37 of Acts 21, Uh, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, which which is a Roman official, he says, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied to the tribune, he said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. So Tarsus is a city in modern-day Turkey. It's very near the Syrian border, and historically it was a city of opulence and stately buildings. And there was also a famous academy in it, which was of the highest caliber. Uh, Some saying it exceeded those of Athens and Alexandria, although Athens and Alexandria had more philosophers in total. Tarsus had some of the best and brightest there. So Paul says, I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, he goes on, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps now, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, and now we come to Acts chapter 22, verse 1. He said, brothers and fathers, Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, okay, so pause. So we're going to look at this because we get to hear Paul's story in his own words. And I hope this gives us a better picture of who the Apostle Paul is because the book of Romans is his magnum opus. Man, it's his greatest work, and it's like the, the, the Magna Carta of New Testament doctrine. 
It's a, a work of the greatest literary quality, written by one of the greatest minds of the first century who came to the conclusion, the reasoned conclusion, that this teaching, this good news, the Christ, whose name is Jesus, was worth being in prison for. In fact, it was worth dying for. So let's listen in on Paul's story before the people who were just beating him and wanting to kill him before the Romans intervened. He stands on the steps. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem where he is right then, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And we know that name that well-respected and influential teacher, so much so that all these people knew the name of Gamaliel. Paul says he was educated at his feet. He goes on, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, the way being Christianity, the way of Jesus. Paul is here telling them how he persecuted these followers of the way unto death, killing the Christians. He goes on, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. He's like, you guys know I did this. The high council will bear witness for me that I did this. And with their approval, I did this. He says, from them... He goes on, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished, those Christians in Damascus. He says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the great light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And I love that, Ananias. Man, why are you waiting? Let's do this. Let's get it done. Paul goes on uh, in Acts chapter 22, speaking to the people. He said, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, 
They themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Remember, Stephen was the first martyr of the church, and Paul stood by in approval, watching after the garments of those who took off their cloaks to stone Stephen to death. And Paul's like, they know I did this. Why would they not accept my testimony about you, Lord? And he said to me, Paul goes on, the Lord said, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And now, that's where Paul's big speech to the people in Jerusalem ends. And now Luke, the author of Acts, uh, stops quoting Paul and narrates for us, saying, up to this word, this word that he just said, that, that Jesus spoke to him, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Why? Because God sent him to the Gentiles. They listened to everything, but at this point, it was too much. The Gentiles, the unclean, those people the Jews would avoid and not go into their homes so as not to be defiled by them. And now Paul is claiming that this resurrected Jesus told him to go to the Gentiles. And they said, no, 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 no. Kill this man. See, the Gentiles were the lawless ones committing every act of wicked thing. And they had learned their lessons from their ancestors that we see in the Old Testament, who when they would mingle with the Gentiles, they were corrupted, being led astray in every way by the false gods of the Gentiles, which led to the 10 northern tribes of Israel being dispersed. And then also Judea's 70-year captivity in Babylon. They were not about to let this happen again. And the strict sect of Pharisees would condemn any who sought to make ties with the Gentiles in this way. These Gentiles who were also at this time oppressing them and causing them to pay taxes to Caesar. This was too much for them to hear. Verse 23 of Acts 22. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. See, when he said he was a citizen of no obscure city, the tribune could not have imagined that Paul not only meant Tarsus, but that he also meant Rome. This was no small thing to be a Roman citizen. You were allotted far more rights and privileges, and among those was a right to trial. And later, while held captive, Paul appealed to Caesar, 
And he was told, you appeal to Caesar, to, to Caesar you will go. For he was a citizen, and that was his right. And at the end of Acts, Paul ends up in Rome under house arrest, awaiting trial. So, so at the end of Acts and, and near the end of his life, Paul finally makes it to Rome. Um, and as we open up Romans 1 and begin the book in earnest, for we only studied chapter 12 in January, uh, if you remember that, uh, we, we begin this book now knowing the history and the calling in the heart of Paul. Paul, a highly educated man by arguably the most respected teacher of his day, Gamaliel, Paul, well-traveled and, and, and well-versed in various cultures and customs and philosophers. Paul, a Roman citizen and from Tarsus, a city of renown. Paul, seeing the risen Lord Jesus on his way to persecute the followers of Jesus in Damascus, having this radical conversion that, that can only be described as either him losing his mind or actually seeing and hearing from Jesus. Because here is this guy who had everything and had everything going for him. And he was a shoe-in for the council of the Sanhedrin when his time came. He had all the honor a Jewish man could hope for, and he was a Roman citizen on top of that. And at the drop of a hat, he gives it all up to become a stain to the very council he spent his whole life being devoted to become a part of. He became a stench to the nostrils of the Sanhedrin. And the only explanation is either this guy's off his rocker or he had a real encounter with the living God. And all signs point to the latter, particularly because his defense of the gospel is one that is well-reasoned and expertly argued and presented as a truth that is present throughout the grand narrative of Scripture, throughout the law, throughout the prophets. Paul demonstrates the full fulfillment of Christ, bringing his knowledge of the Scriptures to bear witness to the veracity of Jesus as the promised one, the resurrected one, the Son of the living God. The veil had been lifted from his eyes, and it caused a total paradigm shift for Paul so that when he went back to the scriptures, he now could not not see Jesus. It was glaringly clear, so much so that at the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, when Paul was now brought to the city of Rome and, and was essentially under house arrest with quite a bit of freedom, uh, he's teaching there and he calls together uh, the local leaders of the Jews. And we read in Acts chapter 28, verse 23, that when they had appointed a day for him, uh, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. For from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he's using the whole of the Old Testament as a proof text for Jesus as the Christ. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, saying, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and here he quotes directly from Isaiah chapter 6, that Isaiah said, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes, they, they have been closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So he is quoting Isaiah to them and saying that they're blind to the reality of Jesus, just as he once was, Paul once was. But then he saw him and it changed everything. And some believed and some did not. But this leads us nicely into Romans chapter one. All we have to do is turn the page in our Bibles from Acts chapter 28 uh, to Romans chapter one. And what we see um, is, is, is consistent, is, is repeated. A man who is committed to the scriptures, a man who is professing Christ as the fulfillment of the scriptures and will now outline the implications of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his promise and the promises of scripture that he will come again. So as we turn the page from Acts 28 to Romans 1, we go back in time about 10 years to around 57 AD while Paul is in Corinth before he ever made it to Rome. And this is likely when and where he penned these words beginning in Romans 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a letter written by Paul for the purpose of bringing about obedience of faith for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. And then he addresses it to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And what Paul proceeds to do from here is spend 11 chapters developing the doctrine of the faith and the final chapters, uh, chapters 12 through 16, setting out our duty in response to this doctrine, the doctrine of the mercies of God. To put it another way, he spends 11 chapters on theology and five chapters on the practice of said theology. He spends 11 chapters on understanding and five chapters on the application of that understanding. He spends 11 chapters on believing and then five chapters on doing because it is a belief that leads to action. He spends 11 chapters on understanding the gospel and five chapters on what it means to live the gospel. We looked at uh, this chart when we first began Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at it again. Um, and on this chart, you'll see that chapters 1 through 3 deal with sin. Chapters 4 to 5 deal with salvation. And chapters 6 to 8 deal with sanctification. And 9 to 11 with selection. And finally, 12 to 16 with service. All of them, the first 11, beginning with understanding the gospel, and the final five, what it means to live the gospel. And from the very beginning here in verses 1 to 7, as we break them down, Paul is establishing his credentials, his 
ministry's mission statement and the intent of the letter, beginning with Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Other translations read a bondservant or a slave of Christ Jesus. The term here for servant is a strong term meaning slave. It is a term of complete belonging. Christ is not at his back with a whip. That's not how we understand it. Uh, when, when a Christian says they're a slave to Christ. Christ went before us. He went before Paul uh, as the good shepherd who went to the cross on our behalf and he purchased us with his blood so that we belong to him as his sons and daughters. But we are not entitled and ungrateful and bratty children of God. No, we are servants of God, bond servants who are chosen and, and those who freely choose to belong to Christ in such a way that he has the authority to tell us what to do, how to live and move and have our being. For it is in him that we find the way, the truth, and the life. So can you say that this is true in your own life this morning? What would it mean for us to live our lives uh, in this way, to live as slaves of Christ, as bondservants of Christ? What must we do for that to be true? What must we give up? Paul goes on saying that he is called to be an apostle. These are, these are Paul's credentials here. He is called to be an apostle. He is not self-appointed. It was the calling of God. So he is writing this letter in fulfillment of and with the authority of this high calling. The apostles were those whom Jesus called. We know the 12 whom Jesus called were, were held in high honor. But Paul uh, does not see his apostleship in any way inferior to theirs. For he too had seen the risen Lord. And he had been commissioned by Jesus to go. And he had a unique and special responsibility as the apostle to the Gentiles. He goes on that he is set apart for the gospel of God. Not set apart from, as the Pharisees understood themselves to be set apart from all those who do not follow the law. And Paul once considered himself a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. But now Paul is set apart to and for the gospel of God, the good news of God, that incomparably good news of what God has done in Christ for our salvation. Romans is a book about God. That's what theology means. It is the study of the nature of God. Everything Paul touches on in this letter, he relates to God. For it's all about God. It's not about Paul. See what Paul is saying here. I'm a bondservant of Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse two, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, it's about God. It is God's gift, part of his purposes for his people. And the good news is that he has now fulfilled what he promised. We see here, and, and we will continue to see, that this was so important to Paul, as to all the early Christians, that the gospel was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It is the realization uh, in action of what God had promised through his own prophets. It is the fulfillment of promises which had been recorded in writings uh, which, which must be received with reverence, for they are holy. As Paul says, the holy scriptures. They are holy, for they are from God. And there are verse three concerning his son. 
who was descended from David according to the flesh. The Christ or the Messiah, those are interchangeable, uh, would be a descendant of David, as is taught in the Old Testament. But obviously, here, with the addition of the words, according to the flesh, uh, these imply that Jesus uh, was more than just human. Otherwise, it, it would have been sufficient and more clear to say that he was of the seed of David. But that is only his human nature of the flesh. But he has another nature as well. Verse 4 Paul goes on, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So not just Christ, the promised Messiah, but through his resurrection, he was powerfully shown to be the son of God. So he is Jesus Christ, our Lord, says Paul. Jesus came to the earth, born of a virgin, according uh, to the flesh, a descendant of David, So he is 100% man and 100% God. For he was the son of God before as well as after the resurrection. The resurrection just proved it powerfully. For Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And in Matthew 22, 41 through 46, we read that now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Jesus here is showing that the Messiah is far more than the son of David. For David himself calls him Lord. So you can say he is David's son according to the flesh, but he is far more than that. The miracle of the incarnation was the divine taking on flesh. Verse five, through whom we have received grace. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. Through whom? Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And not just grace, Paul says. He goes on and says, an apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Again, we see with Paul, it is about God and God's name. What he has done. Paul gives no regard to human achievement. He rather focuses on the divine gift and that it is for all. And this is an all-consuming faith that leads to obedience in our lives, obedience of our faith in God and for God and to God. Obedience flows from the truth, as Paul expressed in his opening line when he described himself as a servant or a slave of Christ. Verse six, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul has been called to be an apostle, but we too have been called. Each has been called to belong, to belong to Jesus. Oftentimes when we think about being Christians, we're inclined to think first of what we do, uh, but what we do is only a result of the calling, and the calling is a call to belong, to belong to Jesus. He made you, he formed you in your mother's womb. He's calling you to belong to him, to have his name written on your heart, 
to place your faith and your hope and your love in him and to follow him all of your days. Because when you belong to someone, it means exclusion of all else. No one else has a claim on you. So when you belong to Jesus, you no longer belong to the world. You're no longer bound by sin and death for you belong to Jesus, the perfect and righteous one who purchased you and who freed you from those things. The old is gone, the new is come. We are new in Christ for we belong to the living God and he chose you. He desires you to draw near to him and he will draw near to you for he loves you knowing him and he loves your innermost being. We'll end in verse seven. Paul says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, plural saints. We should not overlook the plural because we sometimes speak of an individual man or woman as a saint. You know, like we refer to St. Peter or St. Mary or the like. Uh, This is not a New Testament usage. The word is always plural when used of believers. And the plural points to believers as a group, a community set apart for God as though, set apart to God as those belonging to God. And as those who live the truth of belonging to God, living godly lives, to be obedient in their faith, to have a lived faith. And verse seven ends with this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And that's where we're going to end this morning. And I hope your interest is piqued as we're going to be digging uh, deeper into Romans uh, this year. And we're probably going to be in it most of this year uh, and studying the greatest news of all time, that God loves you, that he's calling you to belong to him, to belong to Christ Jesus. And Romans will show us the implications of that are manifold. For we are those who were once implicated before God but through Christ have been forgiven and called to new life. And I pray you receive that forgiveness anew this morning and seek to live evermore up and into that high calling of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you again for your word. And we just ask God that uh, that we would just go deep uh, this year into your word, into studying Romans, into studying uh, who you are and who you've called us to be and what our position was, and how desperate we were before you, uh, before Christ came. And so God, we pray that as we go through this week, that we would be contemplating and thinking on, what does it mean for us to be chosen by you, to belong to you, and how do we live that out? How do we live as servants of you? God, that we would give up everything for you, and obey you in faith. So Lord, we praise you, and we thank you for your all-surpassing love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.